Good day, and welcome to The Climate Report, broadcasting and podcasting exclusively here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. For our first segment, we're going to read a story published as part of Covering Climate Now, a global collaboration of over 400 news outlets strengthening planet-wide coverage of the climate story. This is a piece written by Mark Hertzgard called, Why Won't U.S. TV News Say Climate Change? The climate emergency is exploding in various parts of the world. But climate silence inexcusably continues to rein in much of the United States media. Hurricane Ida left more than a million people in Louisiana without water, air conditioning, or electricity amid a heat index over 100 degrees. The Caldor fire destroyed hundreds of homes, forcing evacuations around Tahoe. Overseas, vast swaths of Siberia up in the Arctic regions were ablaze, while down near the equator, drought-parched Madagascar suffered what a United Nations official called the first famine caused entirely by climate change. Painstaking scientific research has established that the climate crisis escalates extreme weather. In other words, people can now watch the emergency unfold in real time on their TVs and cell phone screens. The problem is that most viewers won't make that connection. Because most TV stories don't contain the words climate change. In an analysis by the watchdog group Media Matters, for four days, from August 27th to August 30th, six of the biggest commercial TV networks in the U.S., ABC, CBS, CNN, Fox, NBC, and MSNBC, ran almost 800 stories about Hurricane Ida over those four days. Of those, barely 4% mentioned climate change. Now, viewers were shown powerful images, roofs torn off, block after block of houses submerged. They heard plenty of numbers, wind speeds of 172 miles an hour, storm surges up to 11 feet, but almost never were they told what was behind all of this increased destruction. It's not as if making the climate connection is scientifically controversial or journalistically difficult as a handful of exemplary stories on Hurricane Ida demonstrated as follows. On radio, on NPR, the reporter Rebecca Hersher said that, quote, climate change is basically supercharging this storm. As the earth gets hotter because of climate change, the water on the surface of the ocean also gets hotter. So there's more energy for storms like Ida to get really big and really powerful. To their credit on CBS this morning, atop a graphic that read, Massive, fast-growing storms like Ida highlight climate crisis, the meteorologist Jeff Berardelli pointed out that a hotter planet also means you evaporate more moisture. The ground gets drier. And he said, we're having the worst drought in 1,200 years in the West. And then in the print media, in the Washington Post, reporter Sarah Kaplan called Hurricane Ida a, quote, poster child for a climate change-driven disaster, and quoted the hurricane specialist Carrie Emanuel of MIT, saying, this is exactly the kind of thing we're going to have to get used to as the planet warms. 
Well, that was the rare 4%. The vast majority of TV news coverage, 96% of Hurricane Ida's coverage, instead chose climate silence over climate science. This amounts to nothing less than media malpractice. Scientifically accurate reporting would not only link this extreme weather event to the climate crisis, it would note that climate change is caused primarily by burning oil, gas, and coal. Responsible journalism should tell the truth about what's driving these terrible storms, fires, and famine. And broadcast television's failure is especially egregious in that it's still the leading news source for most people. About 45% of Americans still get most of their news from television, while only 18% rely primarily on social media, this according to the Pew Research Center. And in all of last year, Media Matters found for the entire calendar year of 2020, in the face of unprecedented fires in Australia at the beginning of the year, and orange skies over San Francisco and fires in California towards the end of the year, for the whole entire year out of all commercial TV stories aired, 0.4% last year mentioned the climate crisis on a TV news segment. 0.4%. This kind of journalism leaves the public not just uninformed, but misinformed. It gives the impression that these storms and fires are not only terrible, which of course they are, but also that they're simply quote-unquote natural disasters. They are not. Of course, hurricanes and wildfires were happening long before human-caused climate change emerged. The climate crisis, however, makes them significantly worse. As a Weather Channel segment on Hurricane Ida explained, it's not that climate change caused the storm, but that a warming world made Hurricane Ida more powerful. Well, what's extremely odd is that plenty of journalists at big U.S. news outlets know the climate crisis is an important story, and climate coverage had been improving, but only if it was a heat event or a fire event. During the heat wave that scorched the Pacific Northwest in July, 38% of broadcast and cable news segments made the climate connection because it was a heat wave, according to Media Matters. And when it comes to this summer's wildfires coverage, 30% of broadcast and cable TV news segments made the climate connection. So newsrooms have the ability to make the point when they choose to. They just don't tend to choose to if it has to do with flooding, hurricanes, tornadoes. It's mainly just hot events. Well, in two months, world leaders will gather in Glasgow for one of the most important diplomatic meetings in history. The International Climate Summit will go a long way toward deciding whether humanity preserves a livable climate on this planet. And from now to the summit and beyond, journalism has got to do better. Well, for many people paying attention to the climate crisis, they're wondering how come there isn't more being said from world leaders, for example, from the medical profession or from the religious point of view? Where are the Christian leaders speaking up? And 
In actuality, they are speaking up. Just recently, an amazing conglomeration of health journals came together to issue a statement, as well as the three major branches of Christianity have all united in order to issue their stark warning. Because while there is the greater umbrella religious belief of Christianity, of course, there are all sorts of different sub-beliefs and traditions and sections of it. And in an unprecedented joint declaration, Pope Francis, the leader of the Roman Catholic Church, Ecumenical Patriarch Bartholomew, the spiritual leader of the Orthodox Church, and the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, who is the leader of the Global Anglican Communion, have all called on the world population, whatever their beliefs or worldview, to listen to the cry of the earth and the people who are poor. These are global Christian leaders joining forces to warn that the world is facing a critical moment as the climate crisis threatens the future of the planet. Their statement in part says, Today we are paying the price of the climate emergency. Tomorrow could be worse. This is a critical moment. Our children's future and the future of our common home depend on it. The three Christian faith leaders worldwide have asked people to pray for political world leaders ahead of the Global Environmental Summit being held in Glasgow this autumn. They're also asking for individuals to make, quote, meaningful sacrifices for the sake of the planet, working together and taking responsibility for how we use our resources. They continued by saying, we have greedily consumed more of the Earth's resources than the planet can endure. But we also face a profound injustice. The people bearing the most catastrophic consequences of these abuses are the poorest on the planet and have been the least responsible for causing them. Notably, the three Christian global leaders said, for the sake of today's children, we must, quote, choose to eat, travel, spend, invest, and live differently. Thinking not only of immediate interest and gains, but also of future benefits, we repent of our generation's sin. In 2015, the Pope issued a powerful encyclical which emphasized overconsumption, corporate greed, and individual responsibility. And while global Christian leaders are joining together and calling out a cry to humanity in order to pay attention to the climate crisis, medical journals worldwide are also doing the same in an unusual move. More than 200 health journals on the planet worldwide. Now keep in mind, there are about 200 different countries on the planet. So more than 200 health journals worldwide are publishing a co-editorial calling on leaders to take emergency action on climate change and to protect health. The British Medical Journal said it is the first time in history that so many health publications have come together to make the exact same statement, reflecting the severity of the situation. They said collectively that health is already being harmed by global temperature increases and the destruction of the natural world, a state of affairs that health professionals have been bringing attention to for decades. The science is unequivocal, a global increase of 1.5 degrees above the pre-industrial average and the continued loss of biodiversity risk catastrophic harm to the health that will be impossible to reverse. Now, keep in mind, these are 200 different medical journals. And right now on the planet, what is the medical industry focused on? COVID. So they could be forgiven for saying, 
you know, we don't have time to deal with the climate crisis. We need to focus on COVID. Instead, this is what their statement continued to say. Despite the world's necessary preoccupation with COVID-19, we cannot wait for the pandemic to pass to rapidly reduce emissions. Reflecting the severity of the moment, this editorial appears in health journals across the world. We are united in recognizing that only fundamental and equitable changes to societies across the globe will reverse our current trajectory. And it adds, these are 200 health journals around the planet. They say, the greatest threat to global public health right now is the continued failure of world leaders to keep the global temperature rise below 1.5 degrees Celsius and to restore nature. Urgent society-wide changes must be made and will lead to a fairer and healthier world. The editorial will appear in BMJ, The Lancet, The New England Journal of Medicine, The East African Medical Journal, The Chinese Science Bulletin, The National Medical Journal of India, The Medical Journal of Australia, and 50 other medical journal specialist journals around the globe. So you have it there from uh, world Christian leaders crying out help in an unusual um, joint statement. And then you have 200 medical journals around the globe also doing the exact same thing at the same time, never been done before. So if you're wondering why isn't the medical establishment crying out about climate change, why aren't Christian leaders crying out about climate change? It turns out they are. No one is amplifying their voices so that the rest of the world can hear them. That's what we're doing here on the Climate Report. Well, on the subject of health and the climate crisis, there has been a big nexus between a meat-based diet and the damage to the environment and the climate. And a brand new report shows that 20 livestock companies alone are responsible for more greenhouse gas emissions than the entire countries of either Germany, Britain, or France. Their entire economic output of greenhouse gas emissions, just 20 livestock companies. Raising livestock contributes significantly to carbon emissions with animal agriculture alone accounting for 15% of our planet's greenhouse gas emissions. Scientific reports have found that rich countries specifically need huge reductions in meat and dairy consumption in order to tackle the climate emergency. Across the world, the report says, three quarters of all agricultural land tended to by humanity is used to raise animals or the crops to feed them. Three quarters of all agricultural land on this planet is being used up to raise animals or the crops to feed them. Another way to say that is only 25% of agricultural land worldwide is actually being used to grow crops that we directly eat. They say that in Brazil alone, the amount of area dedicated to raising cattle is equal to the entire agricultural area of the continent of Europe just for cattle in Brazil. The report also points out ongoing consolidation in the meat and dairy sector with the biggest companies buying smaller ones to reduce competition and the effect risks squeezing out more sustainable food production models. According to uh, a food and agricultural campaigner working with Friends of the Earth, Stanka Becheva, 
this is all for profit and is not really addressing the fundamental issues we see in the current animal protein-centered food system that is having a devastating impact on climate, on biodiversity, and is actually harming people around the globe. The bottom line, they said, is that we need to begin reducing the number of food animals on the planet and incentivize different consumption models. In some interesting clean energy breakthrough news, scientists have developed technology that could possibly turn footsteps into electricity by tapping into an unexpected energy source, wooden flooring. Researchers from Switzerland have developed an energy harvesting device that uses wood with a combination of a silicone coating and embedded nanocrystals to produce enough energy to power LED light bulbs and small electronics. This device, called a nanogenerator, is based on sandwiching two pieces of wood between electrodes. The wood pieces become electrically charged owing to contact and separation when stepped on via a phenomenon called the triboelectric effect. This effect occurs when electrons move from one object to another, just like static electricity produced when you rub a balloon on your hair or against your clothes for a few seconds. Now, according to a group leader in the uh, Professorship of Wood Material Science that is focusing on this, he says wood doesn't have a strong tendency to lose nor attract electrons, like a balloon against clothing. You can't just rub a piece of wood against another piece of wood and all of a sudden you get static electricity. So he says, as such, wood is a terrible triboelectric material, but Wood is an excellent building material, noting that it is also beneficial given that it's a natural and renewable resource that also stores carbon dioxide. So to boost wood's lack of triboelectric properties, the researchers coated one piece of it with a common silicone that tends to gain electrons upon contact, while the other piece of wood was embellished with nanocrystals that have a tendency to give up electrons. So you've got wood coated in one part with silicone that wants electrons and then another part with nanocrystals that give up electrons. And after then testing different types of wood, they actually found that one kind, radially cut spruce, a common wood for construction in Europe, generated 80 times more electricity than other types of natural wood. Using a wood wood floor prototype, with a surface area about the size of a piece of paper, that alone produced enough energy to drive household LED bulbs and small electronic devices such as calculators the researchers found. They successfully lit up a light bulb with the prototype when a human adult walked upon it, according to a paper published in the journal Matter. Imagining walking, making a floor with these kinds of devices, the amount of energy that could be produced by people just walking. The researcher cautioned that so far this was just a proof of concept type of data and the technology certainly needed a lot more work before it could actually be commercialized and scaled up for industrial use. Well, while most of humanity is focused on using less fossil fuels, there are societies and communities and nations that are very dependent on the money from fossil fuels and they're having a hard time. However, just like we're hearing from worldwide Christian leaders and um, health journal editors, 
we are actually now finally starting to hear cracks in the worldwide oil-producing nations with, for the first time, a founding member of the global oil cartel OPEC warning other members it's time to change. The finance minister of Iraq, again, they are one of the founding members of OPEC, has made an unprecedented call to fellow oil producers to move away from fossil fuel dependency and into renewable energy ahead of their key OPEC meeting. His name is Ali Alawi. He's also the deputy prime minister of Iraq, and he wrote to OPEC to or urge other oil producers to pursue an economic renewal focused on environmentally sound policies and technologies and to reduce their dependency on fossil fuel exports, which of course is um, unheard of from these oil exporting countries. He said his statement along with the executive director of the International Energy Agency, Fatih Birol, and they wrote, to stand a chance of limiting the worst effects of climate change, the world needs to fundamentally change the way it produces and consumes energy, burning less coal, oil, and natural gas. But here's the crucial part where he's warning his other OPEC nations. If oil revenues start to decline before producer countries have successfully diversified their economies, livelihoods will be lost and poverty weights rates will increase. Well, the International Energy Agency's recent global roadmap to net zero by 2050 found that global demand for oil is likely to plunge from more than 90 million barrels per day today to fewer than 25 million barrels per day by 2050. That would be a potential 85% drop in revenues for economies completely dependent on oil production. Lawi and Birol wrote, in a region, oil-producing Middle Eastern region, with one of the youngest and fastest-growing populations in the world, economic hardship and increasing unemployment risk creating broader unrest and instability. So if you can imagine, these are the countries and economies that have been making a lot of money off of selling oil. And when you have a wealthy nation, you tend to have more children, produce more, grow your population. So it's one of the youngest and fastest growing populations supported by oil revenues, and that's about to be yanked out from underneath them. They say that an alternative to remaining tied to increasingly volatile oil prices would be to invest in renewables, especially solar power. They wrote, quote, the energy sector could play a role here by making use of our region's vast potential for producing and supplying clean energy. Well, Iraq is a founding member of the cartel that includes many of the world's biggest oil producers, including Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, United Arab Emirates, Venezuela, Nigeria, and several other African oil-producing states. Then there's the OPEC Plus grouping, which also includes Russia and some smaller producers. Most of these have been hostile to calls for action on climate change, while some have been outright dismissive of climate science, and Saudi Arabia in particular has frequently actually been obstructive to UN negotiations on global climate action. The International Energy Agency warned this May that for the world to stay within 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, the lower limit set out in the Paris Agreement to which all OPEC members are signatories then all new oil exploration must cease from this year forward. While asked about the findings, 
Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman, the energy minister of Saudi Arabia, told reporters after an OPEC meeting in June, I would have to express my view that I believe this is a sequel of the La La Land movie. Why should I take it seriously? While some parts of the world are still burying their head in oil-producing sand, here in the United States, people are finally starting to wake up a little bit in Washington, D.C. It says the climate crisis is here, according to Biden, after a week of storms, wildfires, and floods across America. The widespread destruction caused by extreme weather coast-to-coast, with Hurricane Ida spreading devastation from Louisiana to New York, while Record wildfires scorched California prompted Joe Biden to level with America, saying it was yet another reminder that the climate crisis is here. Biden said in a speech last Thursday, we need to be much better prepared. We need to act. And while the U.S. president first laid out details of emergency relief efforts being deployed around the country, he ended his speech by talking about how the natural disasters will continue to happen more often and with greater intensity because of the climate crisis. He said this isn't about politics. Hurricane Ida didn't care if you were a Democrat or Republican, rural or urban. It's destruction everywhere. It's a matter of life and death, and we're all in this together. Biden's remarks were a notable departure from what Americans had become accustomed to hearing about the climate crisis out of Washington, D.C. under Donald Trump, who as recently as last year denied that natural disasters in the U.S. were increasingly related to human-caused climate change. Biden said that when Congress goes back into session this month, he plans to push the Build Back Better infrastructure plan. And despite his advocacy for his infrastructure bill, Biden has been coming under criticism after the White House just announced last week it will open tens of millions of acres in the Gulf of Mexico for oil and gas exploration. Environmental groups have filed a lawsuit against the federal government for the leases. Tweeted the environmental group Ocean Conservancy, how does this align with the Biden administration's commitment to take, quote, bold steps to combat the climate crisis? There is an interesting new study that is coming out of the UK looking at people over 50 and how into tackling the climate crisis they are even if it leads to higher prices. It says the majority of over 50s believe that the UK government should be doing more to address the climate crisis, even if it leads to higher prices, a study has found. It was a survey of more than 500 people aged 50 and over that found that almost two-thirds want the UK's environmental ministers to move faster on climate initiatives, regardless of whether it meant Products and services would be more expensive over time or more difficult to access. Stuart Lewis, the founder of Rest Less, which conducted the study, said, Our research shows that midlifers feel a huge sense of responsibility for the health of the planet and their role in reducing climate change. Rest Less, a website that supports and provides advice to older people, also found that Only a minority of older people said they were unconcerned about the climate crisis, challenging assumptions about there being a supposed generational divide on environmental issues. It said that more than two in three people over 50 polled said that they bought fewer clothes to cut down on waste in recent years, 
while half said they reduced their vehicle use and consumed less meat and dairy. One in five said that they only bought seasonal food, while half said that they had reduced home energy use. Lewis said the vast majority of midlifers we surveyed are already making changes to their own habits, from recycling more to consuming less, changing their travel habits, with some even giving up their car altogether. That's all for today's Climate Report, broadcasting here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. For more news and views in between broadcasts and post-show links to today's news, you can find the Climate Report page on Facebook. Feel free to also email climatereport at kvmr.org.